Hi, everyone. My name is Miles Surratt, and I serve as the Assistant Director for Leadership in the Center for Student Engagement at George Washington University. I'm also happy to be your host for the NASPA Leadership Podcast presented by the Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. You can get more information about the Knowledge Community on our various social media outlets, including Facebook, which is facebook.com backslash SALead, on Twitter at NASPA SLPKC, on Instagram at NASPA underscore SLPKC. And you can also find supplemental materials from our podcast on our Tumblr, which is NASPA SLPKC. My guest today is Daniel Ostick. Daniel serves as the Assistant Director for Assessment, Communication, and Administration in the Adele H. Stamp Student Union Center for Campus Life at the University of Maryland. And previously, he was the Coordinator for Leadership Curriculum Development and Academic Partnerships in the Leadership and Community Service Learning Unit in the Stamp. Daniel regularly teaches coursework on leadership theory and global leadership and has published articles and chapters on the social change model of leadership, diversity, and leadership, and LGBT issues and leadership. Prior to his current position, he held positions in residence life at the University of Maryland, the University of Texas at Austin, and the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Daniel earned his Ph.D. in college student personnel from the University of Maryland, received his master's in college student personnel from uh, Student Personnel Administration from Indiana University and obtained his undergraduate degree in advertising from the University of Georgia. Welcome, Daniel. Go dogs. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, I, that, that let, you know, your response there led me to a question that I don't have here on a rundown, but I did want to get out of the way. So, Uga okay. or Testudo, you got pretty deep connections to both. If you had to yes, you know what, I, I, but I, you know, I think you always have the strongest connection to your undergraduate institution. So for me, I'm a bulldog. It's also my hometown, Athens, Georgia, so I feel a lot of connection there. Okay, great, great. Well, thanks for, thanks for joining me today. So how did you get your start in leadership? Well, actually, um, I, I said that Athens is my home time. I'm actually from a military family. My father was career army. And so as, when I was growing up, I certainly saw this um, vision of, mili of, of military leadership, which sort of made me think about leadership and how work gets done. And maybe it was more of a command and control re uh, sort of reality. But then I think when I went to high school and I started being in high school musicals, um, I think for me, that was sort of the crystallization of what leadership could be. It was this combination of creativity plus hard work, equaling, the, equaling this product that you can be proud of. Um, and for me, I was in lots of musicals in high school, and so it was a really fun, creative outlet to sort of accomplish something with a group of people. Okay, great. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a wonderful and I think, uh, I think really compelling uh, place for you know, leadership to come from. So uh, what student leadership work are you, are you the most proud of and why? I think for me, and, and I have to give um, kudos to my advisor and mentor, Susan Comavez, for this. She gave me opportunities to do writing and thinking about leadership that I wasn't able to do sort of on my own. And so I had an opportunity to work on the facilitator's guide for um, the third edition of Exploring Leadership and currently working on the facilitator's guide for the next edition of Leadership for a Better World. And for me, um, the experience of writing and thinking and helping other people write and think about leadership is, is really powerful for me and make and, and makes me better, uh, better educator, a better scholar as well. Mm. It is, uh, there are many roads in this world that, uh, in this particular world that we live in, uh, that lead back to Susan Comavet. So. <laughs> Absolutely. For yeah. sure. So, uh, who is the best leader, you know, and why? You know, I was giving a lot of thought to this, um, and I've often sort of defaulted to people who've been um, supervisors of mine, and I think back to when I was a hall director at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, and my area coordinator, so my direct supervisor, her name was Mary Cluse, 
and she and I'll have to send her an email telling her I talked about her. But um, she was she was absolutely fantastic. Um, she had um, both she had a clear focus on it, who it was that we were. So I think she had a good vision about what it is we were supposed to be doing. She was mm-hmm. a strong advocate for the people on her team. So she resourced people to accomplish their goals. I think she had a strong sense of team. She didn't leave you sort of hanging on your own. She wanted to be in there with you. And so um, you didn't feel like she was just the boss giving instructions, um, that she was part of the team. And And she really focused on the people, not just the goals. So she cared about you as a person, not just caring about what you accomplished in your job. And I think she was always asking me questions about, what do you want to do next, Daniel? Um, What do we need to do to help you get to that next step? You know, I was a brand new uh, full-time hall director right out of grad school, and I had a lot of learning to do, that's for sure. And she really helped make sure that I got that learning so that I could accomplish things that I wanted to accomplish and I could make a better experience for the students in my hall. And so I really credit a lot of my early development to Mary. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, I think that that the a commonality. I feel like, and because I I ask this this question in every podcast, and the commonality that always comes up is a you know a, a real focus on a real focus on people. I feel like leadership, as it's sort of portrayed out out in the world or on reality TV, is always focused on you know. Uh, when I did this podcast with Wendy Wagner, she was talking about how she can't watch Top Chef anymore because the way that they talk about how a meal being cooked is like the goal and whether that's done or not is whether you're a good leader and it drives her crazy. And uh, yeah. I feel like the yeah, great British like, baking competition or whatever it's called, that's a much better model. Everyone's very friendly. They sort of work together. They all, even if they fail, they cheer each other on. They want everyone to succeed um, rather than sort of saying in order for me to succeed, you have to fail. Um, yeah. Mary was I, great about modeling those lessons. Goodness gracious. People love that baking show. Uh, <laughs> they sure do. The new season's getting ready to start or just started. I think it's tonight. Oh, gosh, my partner loves it. She, uh, it's so funny. It's a very quiet show, I feel it like. Is. I feel like it's almost all whispers. Yeah. Well, you know, leadership doesn't have to be loud. That's for sure. <laughs> sure. Leadership doesn't have to be loud. I love that. Um, so what, what experience most informed how you think about yourself as a leader? Oh, I, you know, and... And this may sound odd, but I'm going to use sort of a more recent example. You know, I think a lot of people say, what informed you when you think of yourself as a leader? Like, they look to early examples. But for me, uh, just uh, this is just several years ago, not that long ago, I had the opportunity to develop and teach a course um, on global leadership that included an immersion experience for 10 days in Uganda. And... Um, You know, when I was tasked with doing this, um, the goals were pretty vague. You know, develop a global leadership class. You should have a global immersion. Maybe maybe you should have some global immersion with it. And so for me, it was an opportunity to really dig myself into a topic and, and think about how to help students think about something that's outside of their comfort zone and how do you can create powerful learning out of whole cloth, like when you're given vague goals but good resources, like how you can really create something great out of that. And so for me, I didn't do that just by myself. I worked, that, I worked on that by talking to a lot of people and, and reworking the curriculum and going back and seeing what worked and seeing what didn't work. And we had the opportunity to do that for a few years. And so an opportunity to, to tweak and remodel and, and refix something. And so it was nice to be a process, part of something that was from the beginning to the end, um, hmm. creating a powerful experience for other people. Okay. Yeah, great. Um, so, you know, you've obviously devoted a lot of your life to, to student leadership programs. So why do you think leadership work is valuable? Oh, um, I think it's about 
leadership is valuable because I think it's about the possibility of creating change. That leadership is about something. It's not just about sitting still. And so for me, the, the opportunity of people to come together and then work hard and then see their efforts result in something that they can be proud of, um, I think for me is, is where the leadership work shows its most value, valuable, valuableness. That's not even a word. Um, but the idea that people can come together and work hard and create change. You know, I, I mentioned that my earliest leadership lessons were from a musical, and I think that, that that example is sort of an example of that. But I think that that can happen at, for college students. I think that can happen for professionals. I think that can happen really anywhere. The uh, opportunity to, to create change and, and make a better world around you, I think, is what leadership is all about for me. Hmm. Great. So uh, who do you think uh, the listener should be reading in order to best understand the field? You know, who are some, who are some must, read, must read scholars or academics that, that people should be, should be uh, getting to? You know, I'm going to think of a, a couple old school ones and uh, mm -hmm. maybe a couple more recent ones. Um, in my class that I, I used to teach for um, graduate students related to leadership, college student leadership development, um, and for some of our undergrads, we had I had them read a book called Leadership in the 21st Century by um, by Rost, and it was written in the early 90s, but it had such great messages about purpose of leadership and the content of leadership and the ethics of leadership and leadership being a group process. It had the lessons were so strong that I still find it's a great go-to, and I haven't found something that really would replace it in terms of its sort of breadth of information related to what leadership is. I also have a book that I love called, the, called Leadership for the Common Good. It's by Crosby and Bryson, which I use for my global leadership class. It has a it's sort of, everything has a colon. It's Leadership for the Common Good, colon, tackling public problems in a shared power world. Um, it's not about college student leadership development, but it's a great one that has you think more broadly about how messy leadership can be and how the goals of leadership are important, but it's, it can be hard when lots of different people have power and you have to think about power relationships and resources. Um, I think it's a really great one to have people think about larger issues of leadership. More recently, I think um, the um, Emotionally Intelligent Leadership um, books that are, out, that are out right now, particularly the one by Shankman Allen and Haber Curran, I think is terrific um, for college students. Um, Corey C. Miller has just had a book come out last year, um, Student Leadership Competencies Guidebook. Um, I think it's really helpful uh, in terms of thinking about the skills you need to develop related to being a strong leader. And um, a really go-to, particularly if you're working with college students, I think is the Handbook for Student Leadership Development. I think if there's any one book that a leadership educator for college students need to have, needs to have on their shelf, it's probably that mm -hmm. one. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, no, that's a that's a wonderful list and a wonderful set of resources there. I I find that uh, I love to ask this question because you know I feel like the the canon of of uh, leader must read leadership uh, leadership books is ever expanding, and so uh, it's great to get new information. So thanks. Well, and you know, I was looking at my bookshelf and I was like, how do I narrow this down? <laughs> what mm -hmm. I, I I can think of lots and lots of books, but I think these ones really speak to me the most. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I think my I think uh, my favorite two uh, two books about leadership that aren't directly related to student leadership work, but they're both called leadership. And I mean, it, it's also I think it's also like almost a parody that word how it just always pops up and uh, you know in you know an infinite number of iterations. Well, you know, I was going to recommend Leadership by James McGregor Burns because it's sort of a classic. But if there was mm -hmm. somebody who was who was looking to learn about leadership, sort of 
sort of new maybe to the topic, I think that would be mm-hmm. a really, really heavy, heavy read. I think that after you're in leadership for a while, it's a good, that's a good one to go to, um, but not, maybe not as a, as a starter book. That was what uh, that was what really pulled me in was that uh, was that book in particular. It just feels like it has oh, great. A, a soul to it, and I feel like it really gives credence when you know the authors want to appeal to surprise. So yeah, uh, I think that, that it's a nice buy-in. So. Um, okay, so uh, sort of in keeping uh, keeping in the same vein, a lot of new professionals, I think, have a hard time accessing quality work to emulate. So who do you know that's out there that's doing really, really great student leadership work? Well, I'll be honest. I think the, the when if you're new and you're looking to find places that to emulate, I think I, I start off with places to like ACPA and ASPA and the, mm-hmm. and the different groups they have that are focused on leadership there in terms of locating people who also care about leadership so you can start having those conversations so you don't feel like you're you know out doing your own thing and you're just sort of on an island trying to create leadership programs out of nothing. But, mm-hmm. you know, if I were to say what are some good websites or some good universities to look to for quality programs, I think um, – the University of Oregon, the Holden Center at the University of Oregon um, has a lot of great stuff going on. Um, George Mason right here near D.C. um, with their LEAD program I think is a good example of strong leadership program. Um, A lot of people look to Florida State and the work that Laura Osteen is doing down there. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a great example if you're looking for good quality programs. Um, Ohio State does a lot related to leadership, and not to toot our own horn, but I think here at University (laughs) of Maryland, I think we do a lot as well. We not only do leadership, um, co-curricular leadership, but we also have a strong curricular leadership program um, that involves a leadership studies program for academic courses related to leadership, and it ties into the social change model and ties into service learning as well. So, I'd say there are good models depending on what it is that you want your leadership program to be about. If you want it to be about Mm. service learning, then there's certain good places. If you want it to be about more positional leadership, maybe there's other good places. Um, So I think that's the question to ask before you just start looking at different models, is figuring out who you are and what you want to be about, and then find a model that speaks to that for you. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a a great point, is sort of asking the why before the what. Yeah. um, Sure. So... So you've written extensively about the social change model, and most of this year in leadership work is, is celebrating the 20th anniversary of that, of that accomplishment. So if you were going to advocate for another leadership theory um, that you think would be really helpful for application in student leadership programs, what would you recommend? I can only pick one. <laughs> no, no um, you can pick multiple. That'd be fine. Okay. Well, you know, I mentioned um, in emotionally intelligent leadership, um, uh, Shankman Allen and Haber Kern, and I think that I think the work that they're doing um, related to leadership and how it's connected to the psyche and how it is related to emotionally emotional intelligence, I think is is really interesting, and I think there there could be some good models that are created for college student leadership from that. Um, I also, I like. You know, this isn't brand new, but I like adaptive leadership. I think some of the work, mm-hmm. uh, if you look it up on adaptive leadership, is really interesting about how you sort of can find and pick the models that work best for you. Um, and more recently, I think sort of this focus of positive psychology and leadership is really mm-hmm. great. Um, stuff related to strengths or, or strengths quest or um, well-being, the idea that um, mm-hmm. we shouldn't just focus on what we don't do well and building skills that we don't have, but we should be um, focused on um, capitalizing on what it is that we already do well. Um, making things better um, that we already know that we have talents in. I think that's a really interesting focus of leadership programs. Okay, great. So, you know, we've talked a lot about a lot of the good. 
What can go wrong with leadership programs? What do you see, you know, when you, you know, when you walk into something that you've seen facilitated or, uh, or, you know, you hear from students, oh, this really didn't work. You know, what are the commonalities there? What, you know, what are the issues that pop up? Um, I think often the, the biggest issues are people feel like they're left alone to do leadership. Or more, more importantly, I think sometimes it's an attitude about leadership, that sometimes leaders feel like they need to, in order to do it right, they need to do it themselves, or that group leaders are looking to people in positions to, to expect them to have all the answers. The sort of idea that there is a leader, that there's somebody who is in charge and should be taking care of things, um, and people feeling very isolated when that happens um, because they feel like they don't have the resources or the support of other people. We, you had, I had mentioned you know, Mary being so focused on team and person and people, um, and when, that, when people lose the people in the leadership equation, I think that that's when it can go wrong. Um, now, is there a wonderful solution to that? I, I, I don't know that there is. I think leadership is complicated and messy, but I think part of it starts with um, building the team from the beginning, not just focusing on the tasks at hand, but focusing on the relationships between the people who are trying to accomplish the tasks. And if you don't have those relationships, either the tasks are less likely to happen or they're not going to have any meaning to anybody. Um, if, mm. if you create a great product but everybody hates each other in the process of doing it, I don't know that you feel really great about the outcome anyway. Mm. There's also, you know, and, and you had mentioned sort of what goes wrong related to wi with college students engaged in leadership. I think for leadership programs, I think the problem that I sometimes see is related to the, the, what, what my friend Julie Owen calls polishing the diamonds. Um, mm. When leadership programs are focused so strongly on people who are already identified as exceptional leaders who are already in positional leaders, um, mm -hmm. who are already positional leaders, that they only focus their leadership programs on those people. Now, there's nothing wrong with celebrating accomplishment and recognizing the great things that college students are doing in positions, but when everything is about only talking to the people who already have the skills or are already in those positions, then I think you miss an opportunity to, you know, build leadership up from, from the grassroots. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I've actually sort of thought a lot about uh, about the other side of the coin when you're thinking about supervision and supervision skills. How, uh, or I think this happens with with sort of students broadly. This idea that we really focus on the problems. You know, we really try to fix our you know our problem performers or our problem students, and we really focus time and energy and thought on those folks, and we sort of forget. You know, well, is there more productivity to more productivity or more development to, to be brought out of, you know, out of the diamonds, you know, your high performers, your folks, you know, and if you're, you know, maybe not polishing those folks, but really kind of continuing to develop them, that's a interesting concept. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're going to transition now to a regular segment that we have called Rapid Fire. So I'm going to ask Daniel a big silly question, and I'm going to limit him to 30-second responses. Oh, yeah, good, good luck with that. Yeah. Okay. All right. To be honest, I don't keep a I don't keep a timer. So uh, <laughs> if you if you go over, there's a pretty good chance I wouldn't even know. Okay. So uh, I've un I understand you've been involved in a long term bocce ball league. Uh, so I've played on the beach before, but I pretty much just try to get the other ones closest to the small white ball. So there's got to be a strategy I'm missing, right? Uh, there possibly is, um, particularly if you're not good. <laughs> but um, you know, I think I think there's a few things that that come to mind. Um, 
I think the surface you're on really matters. I think you play bocce ball differently if you're on the beach in the sand where the ball doesn't mm-hmm. really roll much. It sort of sits versus where I play, which is the park, which you have to deal with obstacles like twigs. <laughs> um, mm. Or if you're, if you're, if you're in um, you know, a bar or a place that has a more formal um, bocce court that's made out of clay or, or astroturf or something where, you have to, where the ball's a little bit more likely to sort of go where it needs to go. Um, I think there's a couple different throwing techniques that people need to think about. Some people like to oh. roll it from the very front, and some people like to sort of do a sort of high arch so it sort of lands, and I think the surface can sort of determine some of that for you. Um, but different people like different ways. Also, I think some people like to go on the offense and try to knock other balls out of the way, but, but you really have to think about when you do that in your game, and that's probably a, a strategy to do probably early on in your game. And mm. then... You know, I, also, I tend to like a short game. Some people like a long game in terms of where they throw that. The little white ball, by the way, is called a polina. <laughs> um, when, I was a okay. kid, when I was a kid growing up, we called it the jack. I don't know why, but, um, mm. but its technical name is the polina. But I like to, you have to throw the polina at least halfway down the court in order to play that round. Um, I like to play it close to the middle of the court. I know some people like to play a long game. I think you choose the game according to what it is that your competitors aren't very good at. If they're not very good at a long game, you play long. If they're not very mm. good at a short game, you play short. But um, all those things to think in mind or keep in mind for sure. Gosh. I love I bocce, of course. I hope there aren't people in your league listening to this. I hope I didn't. <laughs> I feel like maybe I just maybe just exposed that everybody's just going to, for the rest of the season, they're just going to kill you with the long game. Well, we're we're ten seasons in, so they, hopefully they figured it out. They already know. Okay, all right, yeah. good. So, are you? Uh, do you roll from the front, or are you more of an arc uh, on the toss? I'm more of a roll person, but you know, sometimes when we're in the park, um, after I've thrown a couple balls, and, and if I'm in a um, court that is particularly bumpy or has lots of twigs, or mm-hmm. if I throw, if I roll the ball and all of a sudden it curves off to the right because it hits a divot or something, then I, I have to I have to rethink my game. But um, for the most part, I'm a roller from the from, from the front. Yeah. Okay, great. So, in keeping with our book theme from earlier, if you were to write an autobiography outlining your career as a leader. So, you know, imagine that, you know, imagine that you're going to have a book in an airport bookstore. Uh, what would the title be? Um, I'm going to go with um, Smashing Crystal Balls. <laughs> I thought, okay. you know, this, I, the idea of, um, for me, I picked that title because I think for a lot of people think leadership is um, – is mystical. There's this mystery involved, or they think that leaders that somehow leaders should be expected to know what the future holds and be able to um, have everything head towards that that future that they envision. And while it's good to have a vision, I think that when you when you think that everything can be predicted. Um, or you think that leadership is a mystery and it doesn't have skills that you can have, I think that's something that you need to sort of break out of. And so I thought smashing crystal balls was a, was a good one. Okay, great. <laughs> it's a very random title. No, I like that. I feel like that would really stand out. And it's good that it doesn't have the word leadership in it. So I, I think that Oh, that, there you go. I, think that <laughs> I could just go leadership, colon, and then something else. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that would that would work. That would get that would get you more on brand. So, um, okay, so what moment in pop culture inspires you? Well, I am a child of the '80s, and um, you may not remember this, but um, in the '80s there were a couple really big. Um, 
concerts by musicians that were mm -hmm. aimed towards raising money for particular causes. And so there were a couple that, that they had, and this were both in the, in the mid-80s, mid like in the eight, 1985, so I was in high school. Um, one was Farm Aid, which was led by Willie Nelson, and... Mm -hmm. um, they had, and, and it's still going on. They've had the 20th anniversary. They've had them almost every year um, to raise money for farmers. And then um, there was Live Aid, um, which started in England, but then they had uh, concerts in the U.S. and there was all sorts of series of concerts after that, um, which raised money related to um, ending famine in Ethiopia. And and for me, it was just this great example of people using their talents to come together and catapult um, an issue into the forefront of people's minds. Pe if people weren't thinking about farmers, people weren't thinking about famine, and um, Willie Nelson, and I think it was Bob Gildoff, um, I think for um, Live Aid, these two individuals said, I, I need to do something. Who do I know that has talents that is willing to join with me to create change, create awareness um, for these important topics? Um, I think I think it's it's nice, particularly when celebrities can do something like that. I think some people think celebrities should just be quiet and be an actor or just be quiet and sing your music. But um, I think for me, I like it when people use their skills and talents and the and the and the voice that they have to amplify um, causes that are important. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, I feel like that's sort of a a complicated. I I feel like celebrities don't sort of get credit for the things that they care about. At least maybe maybe in the sort of uh, internet you know, the sort of sarcastic internet age. I feel like, you know, celebrities get made fun of for their, you know, for whatever, you know, uh, cause that they're promoting at the Oscars or, uh, you know, Bono is sort of thought of as this, you know, Bono at one point was thought of as like an amazing humanitarian. And now I think there's a certain generation that thinks of him as like, you know, sort of on a soapbox. And I think that, yeah. uh, I think that doing, doing good work and, and really engaging the things that matter is probably more important than, you know, people, thinking that you're, you know, winking and funny. So. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. nowadays, it's, uh, for a celebrity to amplify their voice, it's easy. I mean, they just need to, you know, tweet something and their voice is amplified, um, mm -hmm. particularly if they have millions of followers. But, you know, back in the mid-'80s, um, you know, there was no way that these stories were going to be were, were necessarily going to be heard. And so you had to bring a lot of celebrities together to create a lot of buzz um, to make something happen. And, um, and they took the time and effort to do that. Nowadays, it doesn't happen as often. I mean, I will say that it, 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 it's not unheard of nowadays. I mean, certainly, when, if you look at, um, like, there were a whole bunch of Broadway stars that just got together um, a couple weeks ago and did a Burt Bacharach song um, to raise um, funds and awareness related to the tragedy in Orlando. And so... Mm -hmm. Um, celebrities still get together um, and, and try to amplify their voice for important causes, and so it's nice to see that's still happening in some ways. Okay, on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, so uh, and also just as a, a point of reference, so I've asked that question two other times, and you are the uh, the first person in uh, H. What I thought was a pretty shocking coincidence: the first two. Uh, folks who responded to that question both uh, talked about Beyonce's performance of Formation of the Super Bowl. So um, I, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to include that in the first part of the question just to see if maybe, you know, on the odd chance that we would get three. But um, I mean, but, that I mean, was good. But I mean, I enjoyed that <laughs> performance as well. But I, I don't, I don't, you know, and it was inspiring, sure. But wow, um, yeah. I was going to go with Muhammad Ali, but then I was like, no, I think this one was sort of more formative for me. 
Yeah, no, it's okay. You can uh, you can not be quite as inspired by Beyonce. I know that <laughs> that that's an, that SNL skit where people are hiding, talking about how they don't actually like Beyonce. It's one of the one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Uh, so now, 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 don't lead, don't let people believe that I don't love, love, <laughs> love, love be some Beyonce because I do. But yeah, I've listened uh, to Lemonade. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Heavens, I did not mean to imply that. I don't want to ruin your life. Uh, okay, so, so our final segment is a is a twist on a classic icebreaker, so we call it Higher Ed, Two Truths and a Lie. So I'm going to provide Daniel with two true stories from higher ed current events and one lie, and Daniel's going to have to try to parse out that lie. So the theme of this episode is crisis response. Okay. okay. So, following the flooding last year, the University of South Carolina students battled a bout of ringworm in Rutledge Hall, and then the Red Cross subsequently provided complimentary treatment to all residents of the building because of the ringworm. So, that's your first option. Uh, Your second option is Ohio State initially pulled the mascot Brutus from a scheduled appearance at the Columbus Pride Parade, citing safety concerns after Orlando, but the Ohio State administration eventually changed course and Brutus marched in the parade. So that's the second option. And then the third option is completing a process that started before his untimely passing. The University of Minnesota recently announced plans to confer an honorary doctorate upon Prince. So that's your third option. You know what? There's one of those stories, the Ohio State one I'd heard, but I didn't know that there was that, because maybe that's maybe it makes it a lie. Um, I knew that they, they wouldn't let Brutus march in the parade because of concerns about safety, but I hadn't seen a follow-up story that said that they had changed their mind. Um, mm. So I'm going to go with that one as a lie. The other ones, the other ones seem pretty, pretty like they would happen. Like University of Minnesota, it's the right school for Prince. It's in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, the, there, was, there was the flooding at USC. I don't know if you get ringworm from flooding. But, um, <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but, um, but that seems reasonable. So I'm going to go with the Ohio State one as almost true, but then there was the lie at the end. Mm, well, that is the right thought sequence. Uh, oh, no. So, so that, that is oh, the right sorry. idea. Um, the University of Minnesota is going to confer an honorary doctorate upon Prince. So you're right about that. That is the, the right place for that. And, they, and the school said that the process had started before he passed away. So that one is true, uh, and uh, so I think you saw the first part of the story, but the Ohio State administration did change their mind, and Brutus did march in the Columbus Pride Parade. So See, the only, you, know, you only read in the news the bad news. You don't read the, the, good, the, good, the good ending. Oh, I know, well. I know. So, uh, and, and you were, uh, I am not, all, I'm also not 100% sure. I'm not a, you know, I, I don't know that, I don't know that this is about epidemiology, you know, so... Uh, after flooding, I don't even know if Rutledge Hall was flooded. That is a real place, but I uh, but I don't think that there is ringworm in the building. At least I hope not. So that would be googling. Thing. How do you get ringworm after we're done here? <laughs> okay, so I do know that you can get ringworm from walking in standing water. I know that. I, I've got. Okay. I've got that. I've got that much information. So, um, okay. So, uh, thanks to everyone but for joining you. us for the NASPA Leadership Podcast presented by the NASPA Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. And thanks so much to Daniel Ostek uh, for joining us today. Uh, you can get more information about the Knowledge Community on our various social media outlets, including facebook.com backslash SALead, on Twitter at, at NASPA SLPKC, on Instagram at NASPA underscore SLPKC. And uh, all of our webinars can also be found on the NASPA 
uh, Knowledge Community YouTube channel, which is NASPA SLPKC. Uh, finally, if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, we'd love to hear about your program, so please shoot an email to naspaleaderpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much, Daniel. Thank you.